You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Good morning, investors. Bradley here from Watson Estates, and you're listening to the largest, fastest growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Is the real estate industry begging for an intervention? Will OSFI's new regulation, the announcement of changes to the stress test, cool the market? And which markets are rising the fastest in the GTA? Just some of the topics we're going to cover on our show today. As a broker and investor myself, I want to know what's going on. And it's up to you guys as you listen and as we learn and share to make up that decision for yourself. But I don't know about you guys. I had a wonderful weekend. There's not a whole lot to do, obviously, with the lockdown. I was fortunate enough to have my daughter stick a bunch of kid tattoos to my back, several dozen of them. And um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not a big tattoo, body piercing, whatever kind of guy. Uh, like men with neck tattoos, they used to really make me nervous. Now they make me lattes. <laughs> uh, anyways, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm teaching a bad lesson to my kids about like, you know, getting them so exposed to tattoos at such a young age. I don't want them putting holes in their bodies when they're three years old. Like, no offense to those of you who do. I mean, research shows facial tattoos completely eliminate certain forms of anxiety. For example, you'll never need to worry about finding a job. <laughs> but we like to have some fun on the show. So we're going to do that today. Keeps me interested in the topics as well. And as we continue to research, please hit that like button and subscribe. And hit the like button if you like lattes as much as I do. Join our investor list if you haven't already as we send off market and apartment deals as we go along. But let's get into our very first topic today is the real estate industry begging for intervention. As we go through this, I think you're going to, if you're like me, start to think that yes, they are in different ways. Before we start to talk about how that's coming through from some of the banks and the industry, let's talk about a market update. What happened in March? Because I know last our last episode, we talked about what was going to come out of the results of March numbers, but we never actually covered the numbers as were released by Treb. So here is your update on that. The average home price in the market climbed by 16.5% year over year and hit almost 1.1 million, while home sales soared 97%. No surprise there, but I think what's important is that we break down the first and the second half of the month because COVID hit partway through. So in the first 14 days of March, listen to this, the numbers said that we were up as far as sales by 41%. But if you take it from the 15th until the 31st to the end of the month, the increase was 174%, which just goes to show that the changes that happened during the second half of March 2020 is really starting to come through in our stats that we're looking year over year now. And that said, April is going to be bonkers. Just wait and see. But John Pasalas had a Twitter post that said, Vancouver, Sydney, Oakland, and Toronto are in the top five most unaffordable housing markets in the world, only behind Hong Kong. I don't think it's a coincidence that all three countries saw a significant amount of foreign capital flow into their housing markets. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in our hot topics today as well. But if you're confused about what's maybe going on in our local market, even if you follow the channel, welcome to the team here. And don't worry, Canada's top banks are also confused. We're going to talk a little bit about what they see is happening in our market, starting with a Better Dwelling article today. Lack of supply driving Canadian real estate prices higher. Please, says BMO, please. 
BMO's Douglas Porter, chief economist, sent a note disputing an inventory shortage. He thinks it's important to, quote, crush two myths about the GTA blowout home sales in March. So he's really pointing to two what he calls myths that are going on. The first is last March sales were distorted by the pandemic. I'll be honest with you. I think this is a load of baloney, but I'll read it anyways so you guys can make up your mind. Last year, things were very busy for a month where a pandemic was breaking out. He said sales and new listings were surprisingly normal in March 2020 before falling off a cliff in April. Activity in the latest month was incredibly strong by any metric. So when we're saying, you know what, the second half of March compared against 2020, this this dude would say, no, you know what? March 2020 was actually a pretty normal year. Not really, because if you, if I have to bring back the memories, we were headed the wrong direction in March, meaning prices were going to look a lot like they are now. Last year, I think COVID has really just pushed things back and then obviously added to it. But they say, in fact, the sales in March 2020 were some of the strongest on record. Sales were higher than any prior month, topping the previous record high in May 2016 by 21%. So the point that they're saying is, yeah, the numbers are high, but it's not because the numbers in March 2020 were low. It's because this year they're exceptionally high. But I would argue that that just means it's a bigger problem. I mean, if that is in fact the case, that just means it's actually worse. I, If I were to sit back and argue, I would say, you know what, March 2020 would have looked a lot like this year had COVID not decided to show up. But I do remember, you can't trick me. I remember the second half of March because we were doing the podcast at that time and everything just seemed to stop. And that's the truth. That's as I experienced it. Maybe you guys saw something different. But the second myth that they said was home prices are increase increasing due to a lack of supply. So supply is therefore not the issue. They say new listings in the past six months have been running 30% above year ago levels pre-pandemic. The Economist is joining others in saying this is exuberance-driven demand. In an exuberant market, it doesn't matter how much supply appears. And I think there's a legitimate argue for argument for people who would stand on the side of demand. I think that is, in fact, the case too. And so the myth here is that maybe it's not a supply issue, at least not in the short term, maybe supply long term. But short term, clearly the issue is on our demand factors. Jumping over to BNN Bloomberg, we see another... Bank's opinion, CIBC CEO Victor Dodig said heated housing conditions could be alleviated with more urban and suburban density, along with transit infrastructure and policies freeing up non-environmentally protected lands in newer towns. In other words, supply. There's not enough supply. And in the end, you can regulate, 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 or you can look at opening up the market to more housing supply. And I think that is the real long-term solution. So even between BMO and CIBC, we see a disconnect in what exactly is the problem. One says supply, one says demand. What do you say? Because they're not the only banks in Canada. In fact, there's another article from BlogTO that's called Banks can't agree on whether Toronto's real estate market will soon cool or overheat. Interesting. And they point to the two, two other banks we haven't mentioned, Scotiabank and TD. So when we look at BMO, we look at CIBC, they're saying we need to deal with supply. They're saying we need to deal with demand. Well, these dudes are saying we don't need to deal with anything. In some ways, we might actually see the market deal with itself. Even looking at all the same stats that are coming out of Treb, they're saying, they're suggesting that we wait out the market to see if it writes itself after new record highs. They're starting to say, you know what? Yeah, the average detached in Toronto is 1.75 million. 
maybe people are going to wake up to the fact that that's pretty expensive and the market will maybe deal with itself. Well, that's the position Scotia and TD are taking, at least in the short term. And in a lot of ways, I actually tend to agree. I think that we're starting to even see that in some of our numbers. But these guys are living in their own silos when it comes to the banks. You'd think that when it comes to the economy as economists, that they'd be at least on the same page. And we haven't seen this at all during COVID. But I mean, it's not that hard to just pick up the phone, is it? Even tattoo artists know how to connect on Inkton. <laughs> but the calls, this is what's important, guys. The calls for change are getting very loud, very loud. You're going to hear some of them today, starting with BMO senior economist Robert Kavchich from this Better Dwelling article says he attributes the transition from a hot market to one that's going to burn down the economy to a promise of low for long interest rates. The promise is being made directly by the Bank of Canada in multiple attempts to calm households. Instead, it accidentally caused a surge of FOMO-driven panic buying. So there's some finger pointing happening from these dudes at BMO right at the Bank of Canada, which I'm sure is going to shake things up. And really saying, you caused this mess, do something. That's kind of what I'm hearing in the underline, the underline, the subtext. The organization statement sparked a, quote, fear of missing out on widely expected price gains, all following this long-term low interest rates. We're highly sympathetic to longer-term supply-side constraints in the housing market and have been highlighting them for almost a decade, but that is not what is at play today. What's at play? What the Bank of Canada is doing is at play. Something's got to give. Something's got to give. And so we're going to start with idea number one, which could be the first thing on the chopping block after what we just are going to discuss actually here today on what OSFI has recently done with regulations. But could this be the very first thing that takes place? And we're talking about blind bidding wars. From CTV News, some real estate experts and would-be homebuyers are calling for an end to blind bidding as a way of cooling what they say is an unsustainable housing market. And I would put myself in the camp of thinking, you know what, this has caused a problem. Where I think we need to sit back and look at this, though, is when we're comparing against blind bidding wars, this is actually something we see in Australia, but they have a very different setup in the way individuals are represented when it comes to multiple offers, you're literally standing around dealing with a selling agent. This could really shake up the real estate industry. So we got to kind of keep an eye on how this would, how can we take the good things or what the real estate professionals would say is a good thing of Canada, but also remove the risk of these blind bidding wars that are taking place could be a very interesting transition and maybe a reason why the Toronto real estate board isn't so quick to jump on blind bidding. But here's a quote from chief economist from BMO. We think that if we're going to have an auction process, that should be transparent and open to all bidders. From a consumer perspective, I think that'd be a quite an easy change. And I think it would actually solve a lot of the problems. They say it's absolutely imperative that all levels of government address the supply side of this equation and bring new housing across the spectrum, rental, vertical, low density to market as quickly as possible. That's the CEO, Don Kotick of Sotheby's International Realty Canada. But is bidding wars the problem? Is that something that needs to be addressed? Well, when we look at how many homes sold over asking in March, definitely. 70%, calling to Scott Ingram, 70% of all GTA residential sales in March were over the list price, 70% from 76% from freehold, and 59% from condos. And when we look in the 416, we actually see 74% freehold, 55% condos, saying that it's actually wilder in the 905. 
So he's saying, why can't we just price everything at $1 at this point? Good point. Good point. It's a pretty rough go out there right now for buyers. If you guys haven't been in the market in a while, you need to be able to stand out when you're presenting offers these days. Who am I kidding? Nobody appreciates uniqueness anymore. It's just about that money. Like, I don't know why employers don't hire people with neck tattoos. It shows you can sit for hours while tiny needles are jabbed into your skin, which is pretty much every meeting I've ever been in. <laughs> That's a benefit. That's a benefit. That's not a liability. But let's talk about some of the other options on the table other than maybe changing the, the blind bidding process, which we've been talking about for years. Now that the outskirt communities are dealing with it or the country is dealing with it, maybe it'll become more, I don't know, more of an influence to push things along. A lot of these changes that take place, it's interesting. They come from public outcry. They come from ridiculous voices like mine on the radio, right? So let's talk about some of the other options. What could also take place or transpire from Toronto.com? An article reads, time to break out the hoses in Canada's overheated housing market. Even though I sit back and think, you know, I think things could kind of take care of themselves. We're starting to see, I think people are starting to get sensible that this is not going to happen forever. And there's, you know, all of these things. I think people are wising up to it. I think the market will at some point control or deal with itself. The talks about these changes is really what, makes me stumble. The conversation, the psychology of everything going on in our market. So when it comes to making predictions, at least it's been for me in the past, where I found success is really just kind of taking a temperature of what's going on and making my judgments based on that. Well, the temperature right now is overheating. When it comes to doing something about the market, those same people, not to mention the bulk of the real estate industry, the financial services that benefit from an accelerated market, and our elected policymakers seem to scatter to the corners. It's a lot easier to say we've got a problem. It's a lot harder to offer solutions. And I would agree with that. I've been asked point blank and I don't know, but it's not my job to know. <laughs> but one useful measure that should be implemented quickly, they say, is the blind bidding, which we talked about. Ending bidding wars where the winning bidder routinely pays vast sums amount, vast amounts over the next highest offer. There was actually a report from BMO economists that urged policymakers to act immediately to, quote, dampen the speculation and fear of missing out. Now, I'll, I'll post that link down below. You can check out what those 11 items were, or the cooling measures. And what they did is they said, like, which ones are going to have the least amount of impact and yet or least amount of damage in changing or easiest to change and the best result. And bidding war, the blind bidding war seemed to be at the top of the list. But there are others. Another one is the Liberal government in Ottawa has already quashed proposals for a capital gains tax exemption on housing, which we've talked about as well, but it will have to do something and soon. Well, what is going, what is that something and when is that going to happen? And if you were to ask me, I think it's going to be something in line with tax or some kind of negative thing put on investors. That's just my opinion. And I think the golden ticket to figuring that out is going to take place on April 19th. If I had to guess on where you're going to hear that, because on that day, the federal budget announcement takes place where Honorable Christia, Christia Freeland will present the budget, the federal budget for 2021 in the House of Commons at 4 p.m. You can check that out. I know I will. I'm going to be glued to the TV when they make that announcement. I don't know about you guys. It's going to be as captivating as watching my friend get a face tattoo of her favorite Star Wars character. <laughs> you should have seen the Luke on her face. <laughs> How about another one? Number three, what other changes could happen? What about if we propose a tougher stress test? What if? Well, we did that. We did that, which brings me into our 
next topic here on things that could take place as we see this outcry for intervention in the real estate industry. And that, that thing that happened this past week was OSFI's new regulation announcement. And the question is, is, is this going to cool the market? So it's interesting because if we're going to, if we're going to shoot down this market, it's going to start with one bullet. And I think this is our first bullet, the bullet people have been waiting for. Is it fatal? I don't think so, at least not according to the stats. But the fact is the trigger has been pulled. Yahoo Finance had an article this week, the Office of the Superintendent of Financial Institutions, OSFI, proposed raising the mortgage stress test from 4.79, which is where it currently is, to 5.25%. When this hike is implemented in June, Several households may be unable to qualify for their mortgages, cooling demand. The stress test hike is just an early step in tackling Canada's housing addiction. An early step. Trigger number one. In the months ahead, the government could consider several other tools, including a potential tax on capital gains from a primary residence, which no, or a foreign buyer's tax. Possibly. Possibly. And this is obviously going across the country. But one of the things they mention here that I think is interesting is the exposure that the banks are facing in Canada. Canada's four largest banks, they say, are overexposed to domestic mortgage lending. This is all in the, the environment where the market, the prices start to come down. If the banks are heavily leaning into residential mortgages, that could be a problem. Well, guess what? Residential mortgages account for roughly 46% of RBC's retail loan book. Recently, credit rating agencies lowered the bank's rating due to this exposure. They're not just saying, you know what, the local market is overheated, it's, it's going crazy, but it's coming through in the credit rating agencies which are and or on the REITs, right? Like maybe you're investing in real estate through REITs, which are also heavily exposed in the residential space. So if we did see a drop, that would have pretty big consequences for pretty big businesses. So what does the stress test mean though? Was it, was it a material change? Is there any impact that's going to happen? Is it going to cool the market? Well, the Golden Mail said, getting approved for a mortgage will get trickier thanks to proposed stress test changes from our banking regulator. But if you're a mortgage shopper fretting tougher borrowing rules, don't. To call that a major clampdown would be exaggerating. In fact, if this is all the government did to cool mortgages, lenders will do cartwheels. In other words, it's not a true solution. It's like a man going bald who gets a rabbit tattooed on his head. If you stand far enough back, it kind of looks like hairs. <laughs> oh, so stupid. But the move has no effect if you simply renew your existing lender. This is often a reason why I feel bad for first-time buyers to get in. That first time is so challenging. But if you're staying with the same lender, no big deal. So people are going to stay put. It also won't affect you if you're buying with less than 20% down, which more than one out of five bank borrowers do. That's because the stress test on default insured mortgages isn't changing at least for now, but you better bet your bottom dollar that that is going to be the case. They're probably going to follow suit. The stress test will cut buying power just over 4% for those making down payments of 20% or more. So if you can afford a $500,000 home today, you'd only be able to afford roughly a $479,000 home come June 1st. But here's an important clarification because when you roll out some of these rules, the, the how-tos is really what comes next. So if a mortgage is pre-approved, they say, this was on Friday they announced, before June 1st, you're pre-approved, you've got a property under contract, then this qualifying rate does not apply to you. It only applies for those thereafter. And they say it's not like 2018. 2018, the stress test was a big deal. 
and the, that combined with the foreign buyers tax, like these were big deals. When OSFI rolled out the original stress test a few years ago, that was a big deal. It slashed maximum potential mortgage amount by more than 18%. It's more of a housing buzz killer, they say, than an actual demand killer. And it's in no way a reason to bolt out and overpay for a home before the implementation deadline, which also was happening, I remember, very short time frame, but that also happened back in that 2017 timeframe as well. Most likely though, they say, government isn't done. That's only bullet number one. How many are in the clip? Additional housing restrictions are probably on their way later this year and other things equal demand curbs are rarely a near-term positive for home prices, of course. This is gonna put pressure, all of these combined changes are gonna put pressure on demand which I do tend to agree in the short term is causing a lot of the problems, which is why I think the bidding war thing is a very viable solution. But the point isn't what they did, namely the stress test change, but that they did it. How interesting is this? Are the tables now turning? Is, the, is there actually action taking place to, to deal with the overheating that's happening in the Canadian market, not just in the GTA? Here we go. Trudeau likely just getting started in bid to ease housing fever. This is a Bloomberg. So again, a lot of these come, they're coming in waves, right? We start to hear, you have to get a sense of what's happening in the market. It's not just, it's not just the stats. It's not just the facts, though those are a good way of tracking. It really is a feel of what's going on in the market, right? And, and of course, the federal government is absolutely feeling it. Almost as soon as it was announced, the Canadian government's first attempt, this OSFI change, to rein in the country's pandemic housing boom was dismissed as not enough. It's not enough. We need more, right? We need more which we're kind of saying today as well. But that's the pressure that the government is feeling. With buyers straining ever more to get in amid the frenzy, expectations are building that move will be only the first step from Minister, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's efforts to keep a long-feared housing bubble from forming and popping on his watch. The most obvious next step, what could it be? Would be to carry the banking regulators' more stringent proposed stress test for uninsured mortgages over to the ones insured by the government. I think that that is... That's going to happen. It's going to be all mortgages that are under this stress test. Derek Holt, an economist of Bank of Nova Scotia, said, I, I wouldn't get the logic behind tightening stress tests on lower ratio mortgages when the strains are more likely on the high ratio end of the spectrum. Of course. Good point. So Trudeau government did say in November as well, and keep an eye for this in the budget, that it plans to put a levy on non-resident home buyers. A lot of things that we have to look forward to next week. Dailyhive.com, how the government could cool down the hot GTA real estate market. According to the Zucasa report, interesting, there has been speculation that an announcement of government measures would coincide with the federal budget release which is expected on April 19th. There you have it again. Zucasa saying, watch on April 19th. That would be a really appropriate time for the government to say that some kind of changes are happening. I don't know. And some people ask me, what do I think is going to happen? And maybe you weren't asking, but now you're curious what, in fact, what does Bradley think is going to happen in our market? Well, here's my thinking. Best case scenario, I like to lean on what Scotiabank and TD is saying is I'm really hoping as we're seeing this increase in active listings, as we run into the spring market, and maybe some pressures like OSFI people realize this is kind of a hot market and this can't last forever. And maybe things will simmer down on their own. I mean, that's the best case scenario. That's what I think, that's what I would love to see happen. What I think is going to happen 
I think most likely we're going to see a combination of the market solving itself, which I think is already underway, with a continued minor intervention. So you're going to have further steps. Bidding war, that would be an interesting change. Little changes like these would have an impact. That combined with a market I feel like is already kind of on its way of dealing with itself a bit. Not Maybe not fully, but at least in some capacity, I think that combination is the most likely scenario and what I think is probably going to happen. But in the worst case scenario, which, I mean, we need to look at it from both ways. I think where you're going to have a worst case scenario isn't that we're going to leave this market as it is. I don't think that's the worst case. I personally believe the worst case scenario is an overshot in, in intervention. All these calls for intervention, different levels, maybe not speaking to each other, economists confused about all these things, all slapping on all these, these different rules or changes to our market in a market that maybe doesn't need it as badly as everyone says is going to lead to a psychological impact as we saw back in 2017. So what could that mean? Are we going to drop in 30%, 40%? Pick as high a percent as you want and the louder you are, the more attention you're going to get. Okay, well, let's say we're going to see what we saw in 2017. Let's say. What was that, a 13% drop? Even a 10% drop only puts us back the last four months of growth in equity. So yes, we'll have some, in a worst case scenario, in my opinion, we will have some things come back. But I think as long as you're doing, I mean, the way I look at it is when I talk to larger investors, they're still purchasing properties. And you know why? Because they're getting them at a deal, right? That's the whole point. Make sure it's cash flowing. Make sure you're able to get it. Like my, my, for me personally, when I'm purchasing a property on the residential side, it needs to be at least 20% below fair market value, which I know to some people sounds absolutely ridiculous, but it's true. And so in, a, in an environment where you could have a 10% drop, who cares? Who cares? But I see that as being our worst case scenario. So we need to, the lesson is we need to make sure any intervention that happens is slow and steady. It's gradual, right? It's like, it's like getting a tattoo. Just getting one isn't the best move. It's all about where you put it, right? Like I got one on my arm, tribal. <laughs> In fact, I only got one tattoo. Yeah, you got a Gucci tattoo on your ball sack, but that doesn't mean you've got a designer bag now. <laughs> well, sort of. Uh, that was a really, that's mildly inappropriate. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> then again, <laughs> so is the new tattoo studio that opened in my neighborhood offering free sessions to women who flash the artist. I think it's called tit for tat. <laughs> oh, real winning on those ones. All right, let's get into some hot topics. Please subscribe and like if you think the best things in life are free. And also, if you want to join our investors list, you can find that down in the notes below. TorontoSun.com. Levi, this was a, it looks like a, somebody, an opinion piece. Condo values drop as crime stats rise near Roehampton Shelter. A Toronto real estate agent talking to Patrick Roca was talking about what was going on at Young and Eglinton neighborhood in the Midtown area. Listen to this. They've seen a 15% drop in value over the past three months compared to the same time a year ago. So anybody in the condo space knows a 15% drop in condo prices from a year ago seems rather odd. Well, it's because it is. It is. He attributes the decline partly to COVID, but says he's encountered condo owners with a genuine fear of the area who want to get out. So in this particular area, which just so happens to be the highlight of today, but I think it speaks to a larger lesson of just what some of the impact can be of the changes that take place in the city. Why are people running away? Why are we seeing prices dropping by 15%? Well, the city of Toronto turned the Roehampton Hotel into a shelter last spring and homeless clients began moving in there early July of 2020. 
A Toronto Sun exclusive last Sunday showed in the first three months after the shelter opened, all the major crime indicators in the surrounding neighborhood skyrocketed by 30% compared to the previous summer. Listen to this. Theft spiked 225%, robbery up 100%, sexual violation 175%, theft over 150%, break and enters by 76.5%. Everything is going off the chain there. My goodness. But I think it's an interesting point, right? You, you, as we start to see these changes that take place in an area, is it any wonder why people are nervous about things coming into their backyard or these types of changes taking place? I don't think so. But I also think it's a good opportunity if you guys want to know where and how your neighborhood stacks up, you can actually find that on a Toronto.ca website. It's a it's a application that I like to use on my desktop called Wellbeing. You can check it out as well. I encourage you guys to do that where you can see kind of what does my neighborhood look like? What's the level of education? What is the crime? What How many trees are there for goodness sake? There's a lot of really good resources there at Wellbeing on Toronto.ca. Here's another hot topic. Movesmartly.com. Federal liberal government admits our real estate market works for foreigners, not Canadians. Uh-oh. In an interview on TVO's The Agenda, the federal liberal government's parliamentary secretary for housing, Adam Vaughn. I don't know if this is a slip of the tongue, but he really painted a bad light for the way that Canada, the federal government, looks at housing. He said this, We're a very safe market for foreign investment, but we're not a great market for Canadians looking for choices around housing. Is that a a self-criticism with an intention of changing? Or are they really exposing that everything seems to be in line with supporting and encouraging foreign investment in Canada at the detriment of the locals? I don't know. They say this, is it the first time ever that our federal government has made it clear that they have allowed our housing market to work better for foreign investors than for hardworking, taxpaying Canadians? And John Pasalis went on a nice little Twitter rant, which I think is fantastic. I love this perspective. When a Canadian tries to buy a new house or a condo, their home buying budget is based on their domestic income and their down payment is based on their after-tax dollars they have saved. Can a young household compete against a wealthy foreign investor? Of course not. Foreign investors firstly have made their money in countries and cities where incomes are higher and tax rates are substantially lower, giving them a significant advantage over a young family earning a household income of $100,000 Canadian and paying taxes in Canada. But is this maybe a leading indicator of this non-resident tax that we're probably going to see announced even as early as next week? But it really is sad to see the priority has been given to foreign investors over locals, right? We've traded affordability in our housing market and for places for people to live in exchange for high real estate prices. That's what's happening. Anyone who thinks the recent decisions have been made to help average Canadians really truly miss the clip of Justin Trudeau getting the word phony tattooed under his knee. <laughs> Get it? Phony baloney? <laughs> moving on of course we've got the stay at home order which i would be really i think i'd be missing the whole boat if i didn't mention it of course we're not supposed to be out and about we're in lockdown stay at home order da 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 da. we got over 4400 cases today ico's rising quickly and it sounds like it might get to a point where we have in the icu a decision being made on whose life is more important a very tragic thing to see How is that going to impact real estate? In my opinion, very little. I don't think it's going to change a whole lot. We're an essential service. We've done this twice already. We've seen it go down. We've seen it go up. We've seen it do everything. But I don't know. I don't know. But that takes me to our last and final topic. If you're looking to invest, you're thinking, what markets should I be looking at? Well, let's look at what markets are rising the fastest in the GTA. And then we're going to talk about what could be happening, what kind of trends are happening as we look to the future. Blogto.com. 
Here are the Toronto suburbs where home prices have been rising fastest. This is according to real estate brokerage properly. And here's what they say. Home buyers are secured places in the home buyers who secured places in the city of Toronto between September 2019 and February 2020. So the months leading up to COVID and the lockdown have seen their investments appreciate on average by roughly 16% based on current home values for April, 2021 sourced through TREB. Conversely, when we look in the GTA over the same time period, values shoot up an average of 30%, 30%. Neither of those are low numbers, right? 30% increase seems steep, especially considering what pirates pay for piercings, a buccaneer, <laughs> <laughs> but the greatest gains were seen obviously in the 905, but in areas including Oshawa, where home values rose a staggering 48% in just over a year. 50% increase in a year? What? Is that going to happen forever? I don't know. No, it's not. <laughs> this is why I'm confident we're going we're gonna to grow some sense, right? Georgina and Brock both saw surges. Home price increased by an average of 46% in each market. Meanwhile, regions in closer proximity to Toronto, so Vaughan was 21%, Markham 22, Richmond Hill 22, have seen weaker but still impressive appreciation. Everybody's appreciating, even Toronto. <clears throat> Though Toronto in some ways isn't getting the appreciation it deserves, a clear pattern seems to emerge. The further from downtown Toronto a suburb in the GTA is, the faster its home value have risen over the time period surveyed. This is not a surprise to any of our listeners. It really isn't. But it's a trend that's expected to continue for a while if polls are any indication, which should be good news, financially speaking, for homeowners in small towns and cities. Is this going to continue? If you ask the, gen the general public, yes. Yes, this is a long-term trend. Working from home is a thing to stay long-term. But... I want to ask this question to wrap up our show today. Are the tides shifting back? Globeandmail.com, Globe and Mail. Toronto area buyers are returning to the city center? Toronto area real estate agents see signs the tide is turning in the housing market. The flow of people out of the city has diminished and some buyers are once again feeling the pull towards downtown. In another measure of the condo market's resurgence, which we've been tracking for a while, buyers who want to avoid competition are pursuing units that are not currently for sale. Clever. Off market? I love off markets. Love them. Love them. People are going through expired listings. It's resourceful. I applaud it. This is what this agent had to say. They're going to people who listed a few months back, couldn't sell it. Maybe they were struggling with their condo. They're saying, hey, you still want to sell? Probably. Probably do. To me, that's such a strong indicator that people are willing to go into properties and try to work out off-market deals. Now, they talked to Paul Moranger and Christian Vermance of Sotheby's International Realty Canada just to get another perspective. This is very pro-city, of course, but they say prices of homes in the suburbs and small cities around Ontario have reached preposterous levels in some cases. And I would agree. 50% increase year over year. Crazy. Potential buyers living in Toronto are looking at the price delta and not seeing the value in moving out of the city, they say, which is also true. That downsize or getting a property of equal value is almost no longer existent. It's becoming more common for homes in the suburbs and small towns to fail to find a buyer on offer presentation night, which I'm also experiencing in my real estate world too. If you're a realtor, maybe leave in the comments, are you also experiencing this? But looking further out, they expect the pendulum to increasingly swing back to the city as workers return to their offices and immigration resumes. I literally had a phone call with someone today that was talking about how they, they moved recently into their single family home and they were like, we hate it. 
We hate it. We want to go back down. We're looking for a condo. These are the types of phone calls that I'm getting, guys. If you're getting the same, feel free to let me know. When we look at the rental market, just to wrap things up, they do appear to be stable in the GTA. We're starting to see a bit of a leveling out. Rental active listings declined by 91 compared to last week. And given that we were seeing a 400 to 600 listing decline per week observed during the last month, this is a much stronger reading, they say. That's from Zlan on Twitter. So we're starting to see some leveling out in the rental space. We're starting to see a little bit of legs underneath it. Landlords will be happy to hear inventory is tightening. Renters, not so much. But I guess that's life, right? You can't have it both ways. Either you get tattoos and piercings or you're a Christian, <laughs> which I don't think is a fair assessment. I mean, I'm a Christian. I ain't against piercings. I mean, Jesus had four. <laughs> brutal, brutal. Oh, I, I got I to gotta get a new writer, man. I'm doing anything I can to get my grandma to love me. Anything. But that said, yeah, I don't mind tattoos and piercings, but I'm not letting my three-year-old to get tattoos and piercings. No, so the closest thing these days that she gets is a Band-Aid. Maybe you parents out there, you understand, you get it. Wouldn't that be cool though, as a tattoo, like on your elbow, like this realistic looking Band-Aid on your elbow or something? <laughs> I'm just hoping that they can pull it off. <laughs> Please leave an iTunes review and support the channel. I legitimately got an iTunes review in February. It says, host is annoying, content is not great. Now you know why I'm really doing everything possible to, to impress my grandma. <laughs> Come on, grandma. Come on. I hope you guys had a wonderful day. I hope you have a fantastic week and I'll see you next time. Take care and keep it real.